is 505, we will sing the first verse one only, Triune God Be Thou Our Stay, and that becomes the hymn of the week because we're beginning a six-week uh, walk through the creed. We were six weeks on the Catechism's Ten Commandments, and now six weeks on the creed. Beginning with the first article, I believe in God the Father for the first two weeks, and then I believe in God the Son the two weeks after that, and I believe in God the Holy Spirit. So hymn 505, stanza one, triune God, be thou our stay. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O Lord, you are God. You have created and sustained the earth. Your power and majesty cannot be overthrown. Give us faith to rely upon your testimonies, for your word alone is the ground of certainty and truth. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. That is the psalm collect, or psalm prayer, for the psalm of the week, number 93. I draw your attention to the catechesis notes above and commend them to you. Psalm 93 is not lengthy, but it is a confession of faith in the eternal reign of the Lord. And we need much more of this kind of rhetoric proclaimed in the church today. Uh, when I was a kid, I listened to Handel's Messiah. Just ask my mother, she'll tell you this. I collected records of Handel's Messiah. And I'm happy to say that the, the new CDs that I have now are much better than the old records. But I, I learned a lot of theology listening to Handel's Messiah as a little boy. Uh, for example, the, the wonderful chorus, it's the second chorus into the oratorio where it says, He shall purify the sons of Levi that they may offer to the Lord an offering in righteousness. Now, the entire libretto is taken from the scriptures. But already as a little kid, listening to that over and over again, I realized the Lord Jesus, the Messiah, purifies the sons of Levi. The sons of Levi was the tribe out of which the priests were taken. So they had no capacity to offer to the Lord an offering in righteousness apart from the sacrifice of Christ. So he shall purify the sons of Levi that they may offer to the Lord an offering in righteousness. Then at the end of, it's the end of, Part two, it's three parts, Messiah. There's the Hallelujah Chorus. Now, we prayed Psalm 2 this morning responsibly, and if you come to the second service, if you weren't at the first, uh, he that dwelleth in the heavens shall laugh them to scorn. The Lord shall hold them in derision. It's, a, it's an 
aria sung by the tenor, you know, and thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. <laughs> oh, the smashing of those who reject the Messiah. And the hallelujah chorus follows right after that. <laughs> it's an interesting juxtaposition, you know, um, to have that Psalm 2 and then the Messiah, the, the, the hallelujah chorus afterwards. But in the hallelujah chorus, it's why I mention it in connection with Psalm 93. Hallelujah, hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Now, do you know what omnipotent means? All-powerful. You and I worship the God who is almighty. Will we not start hearing that preached in the church? I am sick and tired of the impotency of preaching and teaching. We have the God who is almighty and the God who is Savior. Let us hold him forth before the world that is living in such terror and despair. Well, anyway, the kingdom of our Lord has become, the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Noah was right when he preached the call to repentance during the time of the flood even though the world laughed at him. But through the flood, God recreated the world. And through the preaching of the gospel, God offers the only thing that can give the world hope. The forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. So this week, we have the beginning of the creed. First article of the creed. The verse is from Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. And the first article creed, we offer a prayer on the first article after the explanation, which takes the language of the first article explanation and puts it in the form of a prayer. And then the hymn of the week, which we just sang, Triune God, be thou our stay, and let us perish Never. So uh, we offer that to you. I want to get right away into the fourth section of the Lutheran Day School. It's the longest section. It begins on page 22. And I'm going to ask for John's help again in reading the Andrew uh, conversations with me responsibly. And uh, I'm going to, uh, many of you have not uh, uh, had the opportunity to read this, and there's a very sequential line of thought in the text of the essay. So if you'll notice, uh, the title of the entire section four is A Lutheran School, Where Does It Belong? We've talked about the spiritual kingdom, which is the kingdom of the church, where God reigns and rules in the heart through the preaching of the Word of God to convert the heart to nurture and sustain faith. That's the right-hand kingdom, the spiritual kingdom, contrasting that with how God reigns in the secular kingdom or the so-called left-hand kingdom. And it is God's rule, and he does it there through the force of law. Last week, we talked about the Christian, and particularly the Christian parent, finding him or herself in both kingdoms, the spiritual and the secular, and how the office of father and mother uh, carry with it authority not only to teach the word of God for the sake of faith in the heart, that spiritual kingdom stuff, but also to maintain order in the home and to teach other subjects as well. So uh, today, the Lutheran Day School then uh, extends that discussion from last week. All right. Andrew, what did you do in school today? We went to the library and got books about farming so we could write a report. Then we took our math and spelling test 
In science, we did experiments to learn about solids, liquids, and gases. And gym was really fun. We played kickball, and our team won. What did you hear in chapel today? We heard the story of Joseph and his brothers. Tell me about the story. Well, Joseph's brothers were really jealous of him because he was their father's favorite son, and so they wanted to kill him, but they sold him to some people instead. Then they took him to Egypt, and all these bad things happened to him there, but he still believed in God. And one day, he became the prince of Egypt because he told Pharaoh about his dreams and how there was going to be a famine. So Pharaoh made him in charge of all the grain so that they wouldn't run out when the famine came. Then his brothers came to Egypt to buy food, but they didn't recognize Joseph right away. When they did recognize Joseph, they thought that he might try to kill them. Instead, Joseph forgave his brothers and took, and took care of them. Why did Joseph forgive his brothers? Because God forgave him. That's a good story. Were there special prayers in chapel today? Yes, we prayed for Tommy's mom. She's got cancer. What hymn did you sing today? We sang, Dear Christians, One and All Rejoice, and the 7th and 8th grade played part of it on handbells. It was really neat. Andrew's response to the question, what should you do in school today, indicates that there were really two things going on in school. One had to do with the secular kingdom, and the other had to do with the spiritual kingdom. This is an important distinction. Like the Christian, the Lutheran day school is in both kingdoms. To the extent that a Lutheran day school teaches reading, writing, and arithmetic, it has nothing to do with the ministry of the church. On the other hand, to the extent that religion is taught, chapel services are conducted, and music is learned for the church's worship, it is directly related to the ministry of the church. Understanding the two kingdoms and balancing them in the life of the school and the congregation is very important. Now what I'm going to do is I'm going to take you through this first section, make a few additional uh, remarks or comments, and then see if you have any questions before moving on to the next question. Because there is a uh, train of thought and a line of direction here that I want you to follow. Because now we're talking about synthesizing the relationship between the spiritual and the secular kingdom. Now remember, by using the term secular, it in no way takes God out of the equation in the secular kingdom. So the authorities that exist in the civil realm have been established by God. Now they're given jurisdiction according to God. For example, this, the secular kingdom, the jurisdiction given them by God, does not allow them to invade the divine service of the church, even though they may try to do so. But it's very important. I think a lot of Christians, again, a lot of Lutheran Christians think that the spiritual kingdom is where God rules. The secular kingdom, God has nothing to do with that. That's not true. Church and school support each other. The school serves and supports the church by the work it does in the secular kingdom. For example, the teaching of language, phonics, spelling, grammar, reading, and writing, is essential for all citizens if they are to function in society. But it is also an essential tool for the minister and catechist in teaching the faith of the scriptures. It's why at our seminaries, the seminarians are taught Greek and Hebrew, that they may be able to handle the original languages in preaching and teaching and interpreting the scriptures. The teaching of the English language is not the ministry of the church, but language is an essential tool of the minister in communicating the truths of God's word. Similarly, by the authority of parents in the secular kingdom, discipline, order, and moral values are taught and maintained in the school, which is one of the disadvantages if in the public school, for example, there is a total breakdown of parental governing, uh, then you have often chaos and a breakdown of order in the school that prevents learning from taking place. So this is not the job of the minister, lest his office become one of 
the law in the civil sense, rather than one of the gospel. But the setting in which discipline and order is maintained ensures that the word of God will not be bound but have free course through the protection of parental authority so that it can be preached to the joy and edifying of the children. In this sense, the day school provides the same benefits as the state, but on a smaller scale. We pray for and give honor to the state and our leaders for the sake of the church. Let me repeat that. We give honor to the state and our leaders for the sake of the church. In God's economy, he intends the church, even if the church is filled with rank unbelievers, that doesn't change the reality, that in God's economy, he wishes the church to serve the state. I think one of the problems in the United States is we have had so much incredible freedom that the church has become lazy in the proclamation of the gospel. There may come a time in which we find ourselves thoroughly and totally oppressed by a regime that doesn't allow such freedoms, and so we suffer greater peril than because of it. Susan? That's not what I said. We pray for and give honor to the state for the sake of the church so that the church's public ministry might not be hindered. The state, the state serves the church. You said it backwards. Did I say it backwards? I'm sorry about that. Thanks for asking because the, the, the state serves the church whether the state realizes it or not. So that the church's public ministry may not be hindered and we may lead quiet and peaceable lives. That's a quotation from the from the collect on uh, the word of God, that the word may not be bound but have free course or the, under civil authority that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life. When the secular kingdom fails to do its work, the spiritual kingdom suffers and the godless and wicked of the world do all in their power to prevent the public ministry of the word from being heard in the world. So it's the same thing is true in the home. If father and mother fail to do their jobs in maintaining order in the home, the preaching and teaching of the faith, the passing on of the faith to their children, suffers because of it. And that's what the next statement says. If parents do not provide the discipline of law in their children's lives, their children will not be able to be taught the gracious message of the gospel. But just as the Lutheran Day School supports the ministry of the church, so the church supports the work of the school. Wherever the ministry of Christ's gospel and sacraments are at work in the lives of the baptized people of God, there will be the fruits of faith. And that's an important thing. The fruits of faith flow from the heart that has received the gospel and spirit of God, which both creates faith and produces faith fruit. The secular kingdom concerns itself with the outer man, you know, the, the, the discipline of the outer man. When the police officer stops you on the streets of Main Street here in Sussex, they've been much more active. I think that's in preparation for October 16th, when the uh, communist organization Black Lives Inc. is promoting uh, protests here in Sussex. Uh, you'll maybe have noticed that the Waukesha Sheriff has, on, from time to time, over the last several weeks, had uh, eight or ten squads parked there. I've never seen that many before. And there's a greater presence on the, on the street. But the police do not care whether you believe that the speed limit should be 25 miles an hour or not. You're going to get the ticket either way. And if you don't believe it should be 25, too bad, so sad, here's the ticket, pay your fine. So it's a different, they're concerned about the outer man and maintaining order. Now I'm glad that they're policing things, why? Because then that protects uh, the businesses, uh, the homes, the law-abiding citizens, and also the church allowing us to do the work that God has called us to do without being hindered. So the spiritual kingdom of Christ's gospel concerns itself with the inner man, faith, and the conversion of the sinner's heart. This activity of the Holy Spirit through the gospel in the lives of Christians creates a living and vibrant faith which manifests itself 
in the fruit of good works. This is why, I mean, this is absolutely essential. You know, we talk about essential services over the last several months. There can be no more essential service than the church continuing to preach and teach the word of God. There can be no more essential service because if the word of God is that by which all of creation was called into being, and the word of God is that by which repentance and faith in Christ is created and nurtured, it cannot be simply set aside or shut down. Now, that does not mean, in the case of a pandemic, that we are not sensitive to the needs of those who are immunocompromised and so forth. But finally and ultimately, what we're saying to our children and to the world is that the one thing needful is Christ and his word through which the Holy Spirit works faith in the heart when and where he pleases. So the holy life, which flows from the faith, from the faith of these little Christians, can only make the task of teaching, reading, writing, and arithmetic easier. We cannot underestimate the influence of the sinful flesh upon the believer. The sinner constantly needs the law to control him. But the gospel, on the other hand, creates a new man who does not need to be driven by the law, but freely and willingly does what is good. Now, this citation from Luther, it's in the formula of Concord, says some radical things about the faith in Christ that the Spirit of God creates through the gospel in people's hearts. Before commenting further on it, you are familiar with the words of St. Paul in Galatians, where he says, the flesh, talking about the sinful nature of a Christian, the flesh lusts against the spirit. This idea of lusting against the spirit, the spirit of God, is that it desires to usurp the lordship of the Holy Spirit. So the, the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh is contrary to the flesh. These are contrary to one another, so that you, as Christians, do not always do the things that you wish. Paul also speaks of that uh, phenomenon in Romans 7, the good that I would do as a Christian who believes in Christ and has a new nature and a new will, will I do not do that which I do not want to do as a Christian is the very thing that I do, O wretched man that I am. So there is that reality within the Christian, the old Adam and the new man, the flesh and the spirit. However, having said that, what Luther is saying here is that the faith that the Holy Spirit creates in our heart as a creation of the spirit does not need the force of law, but spontaneously and eagerly does what God wills. So listen to what he says here. Faith is a divine work in us that transforms us and begets us anew from God, kills the old Adam, makes us entirely different people in heart, spirit, mind, and all our powers, and brings the Holy Spirit with it. Oh, faith is a busy, living, busy, active, mighty thing so that it is impossible for it not to be constantly doing what is good. Likewise, faith does not ask if good works are to be done, but before one can ask, faith has already done them and is constantly active. Faith is a vital, deliberate trust in God's grace, so certain that it would die a thousand times for it. And such confidence and knowledge of divine grace makes us joyous, meddlesome, and merry toward God and all creatures. Meddlesome is an interesting uh, old expression here in this translation from the Tappert edition of the, of the, congregate, uh, of the uh, Formula of Concord. But what it, what it means is that the faith that the Spirit of God creates in the hearts of a Christian is delighted with the things of God. That, that the things of God, the learning of the Scriptures, the teachings of Christ, are the things that we are meddling in, okay, that, that delight us. That's the, you, normally you think of meddlesome as a, as a negative thing, like I'm going to meddle in the affairs of Betsy over here. 
Now, this is meddling in the affairs of God, delighting in those. This, is the Holy, this the Holy Spirit works by faith, and therefore without any coercion, a man is willing and desirous to do good to everyone, to serve everyone, to suffer everything for the love of God and to his glory, who has been so gracious to him. So since this faith is the outcome of the ministry of the gospel in the lives of Christians, this faith can only assist the Lutheran Day School in its work. The Lutheran Day School provides an environment in which the gospel of the forgiveness of sins is lived out in the daily lives of God's people and in which the word of God permeates everything that is taught, including the secular subjects. So if you can imagine the setting in which um, Freddie, since we have no Freddies, I'll, I'll use Freddie instead of Johnny. I'll use Johnny too much. Freddie um, does something wrong. The Lutheran Day School teacher disciplines Freddie. That's the force of the law. And as an agent of the secular kingdom, the force of discipline and some kind of uh, punishment calling Freddie to account is rendered. But also there's a spiritual function of the law. And that spiritual function of the law is to bring about what? Repentance and the desire of contrition. So that Freddie also not only is restrained from doing evil, secular kingdom authority, but also in contrition and repentance confesses. And then what does the Lutheran day school teacher say to Freddie, who has been sorrowful for what he has done and says, I've done this, I'm sorry. Lisa, I forgive you, I forgive you for Jesus' sake. We believe actually as Lutheran Christians that that word of forgiveness for Jesus' sake from outside of our hearts actually creates and strengthens faith within the heart. So that it, while Freddie will still have the old nature, yes, the faith created there is strengthened by that word and desires not to do what Freddie had done again. Sometimes it bears full flower of fruit. Sometimes it needs more application of the word of God. But it's an example of the Lutheran day school teacher in both kingdoms. So the day school functions as another setting for the ministry of the gospel to the members of the congregation and the surrounding community. Through the services which are conducted and the catechesis which takes place, Christian young people then go out into the community to live as Christian citizens in their God-given vocations. Through their lives of loving service to their neighbor, they give witness to their faith in Christ. In the Lutheran school, like nowhere else, the word of God, the language of faith, and the church's daily life of prayer is passed on to the next generation of Christians. In this environment, Christian children learn how to receive God's gifts in the divine service, how to pray, how to confess, and how to live where God has called them in the freedom of the forgiveness of sins with faith in Christ and love to the neighbor. Now the next section, the Lutheran minister, his authority and responsibility. I'm only going to share with you the first paragraph and then summarize what follows that as we then move into page 26, the Lutheran day school teacher, her authority and responsibility. In so doing, remember last week's discussion about how, about the question, the office of day school teacher. From where does this office derive its authority? Is it from the office of the holy ministry or is it from the office of father and mother? And Luther and the Lutheran confessions maintain, this is strongly emphasized in the large catechism, that the office of day school teacher derives its authority not from the office of the ministry, but 
from the office of father and mother. And there's some significant ramifications to that. This first paragraph under the Lutheran minister, before concluding the theological discussion on a Lutheran day school, more must be said about the office of minister and the office of day school teacher. They are different offices, each with their respective place in the Lutheran school. In our day, far too many pastors are becoming big business administrators or CEOs and are neglecting their real work. When the pastor is in his study, he should be studying the word of God or praying, not filling out a purchase order for supplies or meddling in the temporal affairs of the parish and day school. When the pastor is attending the meetings of the congregational boards or involved in the life of the day school, he should be teaching them the word of God and making sure that nothing is done or taught in the temporal affairs, which scandalizes the gospel. He should not be looking over the shoulder of the day school teachers and principals, insisting that temporal affairs be done his way. The pastor is not a carpenter, plumber, businessman, politician, elementary teacher, or principal, even though he may have abilities and expertise in these areas. He is the church's pastor and teacher of the Word of God, Ephesians 4, who has been called to be a steward of the mysteries of God, 1 Corinthians 4. This exclusive focus is critical to maintain. Of course, love means that, you know, the leadership of the congregation is going to work with the pastor, consult the pastor on things, and so forth. Um, and for love's sake, while we, for example, um, govern our congregation with a constitution and bylaws, and when the voters make a decision, technically one could say that majority rules, but I've always advocated that if in temporal affairs, there is a division that love would dictate, in other words, like 5149 on a contentious issue, let us take a step back and not force the issue. But majority rules, not in the church. In the church, in temporal affairs, love rules. Doctrine cannot be compromised, but the sensitivities of individuals mean that we do not we do not dictate in the temporal affairs, but seek to establish uh, consensus and so forth. And so the pastor has certainly a role in that as faith in Christ is then active in love. But, but having said that, what this section is indicating is that strictly speaking, what is the authority of the pastor? And the citation on page 25 uh, is from the uh, Augsburg Confession, Article 28, which is the last article in the Augsburg Confession. In Luther's day, the time of the Reformation, you had bishops that also had civil authority. It was great. It would be like, uh, you know, a bishop could be, have both spiritual authority and be the governor of the state of Wisconsin. It was a great deal. Both swords, you know, absolute power, of course, absolute power corrupts absolutely. Whoever said that, I forget. But anyway, uh, and, and the reformers say, no, no, no. There belongs to bishops as bishops no other authority but to preach the word of God, to judge doctrine, to baptize, to remit sins and to retain sins. That's Christian discipline. To distribute the Lord's body and blood faithfully according to his institution. By divine right, that's the only authority he has, by divine right. Now, over time, and it's not necessarily bad, by human right, we have extended to ministers certain temporal jurisdiction. For example, um, uh, Reverend Dr. Patrick Ferry is due to retire as a president at Concordia University, Wisconsin. He's an ordained minister, but by human right, and human right is not a bad thing, okay? By human right, authority has been extended to him over these years 
to serve as the president of uh, Concordia University, Wisconsin. It's interesting to note that in most of our Concordias, while spiritual jurisdiction and governance is given to those presidents if they are ordained men, they delegate that to a campus pastor to be you know, pastor of the community. I think that's how it works at CUW, all right? And there's the recognition that because he has certain civil responsibilities, so to speak, temporal responsibilities by human right, uh, it can be a source of interference with the proper work as a minister. And of course, there's the great um, citation from 2 Timothy 4, uh, verses 1 through 5 on page uh, 24. So in, in that second paragraph on 24, though, I said the faithful Lutheran minister must resist everything which interferes with or detracts from his proper work. If he does not preach the gospel, administer the sacraments, judge doctrine, and absolve penitent sinners, who will? And this, this becomes problematic, you know, practically speaking, because you should expect to hear from your pastor, thus says the Lord, right? But if the pastor is engaged in insisting upon certain things temporally, which are neither commanded nor forbidden, you know, pick something out. You must put stone in the islands in the parking lot rather than grass. You see how the thus says the Lord that the pastor is supposed to speak is compromised by such exertion of authority in temporal matters. Now, we must love our brothers and sisters in Christ and be patient with one another. Uh, that is a thus says the Lord kind of thing. So if there's a dispute or a dissension in temporal matters, let us calmly discuss these until we can be of a more amicable mind. Now that is where faith is active in in love, and that is a thus says the Lord matter. Do you follow kind of the difference? Okay, now if you turn to page 26, the Lutheran day school teacher, her authority and responsibility. The Lutheran day school teacher stands in the place of father and mother in the classroom. This is why the Lutheran day school teacher is called upon to do so much from teaching the physiology of frogs to praying the Apostles' Creed and morning prayer with her children. She may be an expert in phonics and the teaching of reading. At the same time, she is called upon to discipline an unruly child and comfort another whose art project has been ruined. The Lutheran Day School teacher serves in a solemn office, the responsibilities of which are as comprehensive as that of a Christian father and mother. The Lutheran day school teacher serves in the stead and by the command of parents. This is her glory and her honor. A Lutheran day school teacher is not a minister of the word. There has been a lot of confusion about this. When every church worker is thought of as a minister of the word, soon the proper work of the ministry is lost in the shuffle and replaced with something else. Remember, the proper work of the ministry is the public teaching and preaching of the gospel, the administration of the sacraments, judging doctrine, protecting the church from the intrusion of false doctrine, and remitting and retaining sins. Ministers must remember what their proper work is and stick to it. Lutheran day school teachers should enjoy the freedom and high privilege they have been given to serve in the stead and by the command of parents. The authority extended to the Lutheran day school teacher from parents includes not only the authority to teach math and science, but also the authority to teach religion and lead the children in prayers. Now let me elaborate on this a bit further. This is in no way to be interpreted 
as saying that Miss Laubenstein cannot speak God's word in her classroom because she's not a pastor. That's absolutely ridiculous. That would be like saying John Bender cannot teach the catechism to his children because he's not a minister. We all have the word of God in our mouths and in our hearts, but each according to our station and calling. So, for example, Kathy, you were trained as a nurse, right? So you ministered medicines to patients? Yes. Maybe you assist with some, uh, the stitching up of a wound or something like that? Yes. Did you stitch a wound yourself ever? No. No. But you could have, some nurses had, the physician's assistant that took care of my thumb, a finger here in uh, May did a fabulous job while the doctor watched. <laughs> she said, he was, you know, he was in uh, uh, Sudan and he was in Iraq and Afghanistan. He's our hand expert. I'm going to let him do it. He was not an MD. But you see, so you or that physician's assistant made use of the tools of the trade of medicine that belong under the authority of the doctor, but that didn't make you doctors, okay? So uh, order in the church, every Christian speaks the word of God. Every Christian prays. The Christian father and mother judges doctrine in the home. The Christian father and mother teaches in the home. The Christian bears witness and confesses his or her faith in the workplace. Why do you treat your employees so graciously? Because I'm a Christian, and that's how the Lord has treated us. This gives great freedom to the Christian in his or her respective office uh, in general and to, the Christ, and to the Lutheran day school teacher in particular. Kent doesn't want, he's so nervous about not getting his robe on. That's why he's 25 minutes ahead of time. Okay. So the day school, this is the third paragraph, the day school teacher is always functioning, a little Latin here, in loco parentis. Now, I realize loco sometimes has the connotation of being crazy. Uh, and, and maybe it's true that the day school teachers are crazy to think that they can uh, assist parents. But at any rate, it means in the location of or in place of parents. Yet her office has the blessing, sanction, and approval of the church. For it was established by the church for the support of the people of God. Now, this is an important thing. Down through the centuries, the church, in the freedom she has been given, has established various, they're called auxiliary offices. And the auxiliary offices that the church in her freedom establishes are not offices mandated by God. You must have this office. Now, the office of the ministry is established by God. The church cannot exist without the office of the ministry, the preaching of the gospel and the sacraments. But there are a myriad of other offices that the church in freedom can establish. Those are called auxiliary offices. In some cases, they work to support the pastor so that he can do the God-given work that he has done. So, for example, Alex Scheller is our parish administrator, and Mike Ferguson is technology chair, Randy Kirk is finance chair. Those are all diaconal kinds of offices, offices of service, which assist me. There's lots of temporal administration that needs to, to go on so that I can devote myself to the study of the word, the preaching of the word, and so forth. And uh, we have a weekly meeting on Tuesday, our administrative uh, group, where we talk about things. And how much, uh, how much meddling and demanding do I do of you, Alex? Not very much. Okay, good. Good answer. <laughs> okay. So, uh, now, auxiliary offices then also, they can support the ministry, but the auxiliary offices that the church establishes also helps the Christians fulfill their vocation of love in the world. In the case of day school teachers, the day school office is established by the church to help Fathers and mothers fulfill their work of teaching their children, 
passing on the language of faith, and also educating them to be God-fearing citizens in the society. Okay? A Lutheran day school teacher serves in what has been called an auxiliary office in the church. An auxiliary office is one that is not commanded by the Lord and essential to the life of the church, like the office of the ministry, but one which the church is free to establish according to very real needs and circumstances. So if our congregation existed uh, in the inner city of Detroit or of Milwaukee, there may be some very real needs that the church wants to address in the community, similarly to um, in Zion and Fort Wayne, our President Matthew Harrison served as the senior pastor of Zion Lutheran Church in a very bad neighborhood, and that congregation helped to rebuild uh, broken down homes and so forth around the church and get rid of the drug uh, trade that was going on, and they worked with lo local law enforcement people to do that and so forth. Uh, congregations running extensive uh, soup kitchens, food banks, clothing banks, and so forth to help the poor. Our own Pastor Silfo, may his soul rest in peace, uh, was extremely active in promoting in his congregation uh, Walther Memorial, which no longer exists, unfortunately, to reach out to the temporal needs of the community. And... Um, well, that's another story about his heartbreak when that stopped. I think one of the problems with our, our churches uh, leaving the city is that we have not wanted to establish those auxiliary services to the community. And he talks about how they, they ran the, the, the food bank, they ran the clothing bank and so forth, and they brought people in. And then what did he do as a minister? He catechized them. And he baptized the converts and baptized their children and had a vibrant ministry in, in the city of Milwaukee. So it's an example of how there's a, depending on where a congregation finds herself, she may establish any number of auxiliary offices. And they, she may establish them and there may come a time in which that is no longer something that um, is necessary to serve the people either of our own congregation or the community around us. So a congregation which establishes a day school does so, not only to create a setting in which the ministry of the church might reach out into the community through public preaching and catechesis, but also out of Christian love and concern for her members who want to raise their children as God-fearing citizens. And I would add in the examples that I've given, out of love and concern for those who do not yet know Christ. And the mercy work of our synod is being promoted to be in close proximity to word and sacrament ministry. So when people are helped temporally in terms of you know, the devastation of a hurricane or of an earthquake, the church is there with both temporal assistance as a reflection of the love of the gospel for all people and with the word of God and the ministry of Christ's forgiveness in the gospel. So both the secular and the spiritual kingdoms are involved. The formation of such a school by a congregation is a real need and circumstance, which necessitates additional workers outside the office of the public ministry, experts in language arts, mathematics, music, elementary education, etc. This is a crucial need for the success of the school and is very important work but it is not the ministry of the church. It goes back to why I said at the very outset of the formation of the academy, I'd rather us understand the theology upon which it is based and decide not to do it than not have the theology straight and decide to do it. It's one of the reasons why in so many of our schools there's been such a conflict between the pulpit and the classroom. Day school teachers have a Christian vocation because of their faith in Christ, not because they differ from any other faithful Christian who works in some other secular field. Their faith in Christ is what makes their work a holy work and a godly calling. They have been entrusted with the sacred responsibility of assisting Christian parents in the education of their children, 
Their office is auxiliary in the church because it is alongside of and in support of the preaching of the office, not because, uh, the preaching office, not because it is unimportant. There could be any number of auxiliary offices established within the congregation to handle any number of temporal needs that may arise. Deacons, deaconesses, directors of music, day school teachers, secretaries, etc. Each of these offices is established because of a real need so that the ministry of the word is not bound but has free course. Now this concept of auxiliary offices being established both in support of the ministry and or in support of Christians in the calling God has given them is reflected in our Lutheran service book agenda. Notice the language here. This is for the commissioning and installation of a Lutheran school teacher. And I draw this to your attention because this is the, the hymnal and the agenda represents not only our official doctrine, but also its practice. Beloved in the Lord, according to the church's usual order, Jane Smith has been called to the office of teacher at Benediction Lutheran Church and School. This office has been established, now listen to the language, in love by the church to support the office of the holy ministry and to assist and strengthen Christian fathers and mothers in their God-given responsibility to bring up their children in the nurture and instruction of the Lord. She has been prepared for this office by prayer and study. She has been examined and declared ready to undertake this sacred responsibility and public trust. Now that phrase, public trust, is something you should remember. Public trust is, has a long-standing usage in our country, and it dates back into Europe. A public trust is the idea that there is a responsibility and authority entrusted to this particular person. And so the public trust, in this case extended to a day school teacher, is the authority to act in loco parentis, not in the usurpation of the parental office, but in support of that office. So that the day school teacher understands that everything he or she does, she does because she has been granted this trust publicly by father and mother. And therefore it's a sacred and holy thing. Now, uh, another uh, example, this is simply the installation of a certified church worker, so it could apply to any number of these diaconal offices. Beloved in the Lord, according to the church's usual order, John Smith has been called to the office of parish administrator. This office has been established in love by the church to support the office of the holy ministry, on the one hand, and to assist the faithful in their God-given vocations on the other. See how the language, the theology, is reflected in the language of the liturgy. All right, now if we go to uh, what does this mean, it's on page 27. We have one other conversation from Andrew. Remember how it began, our conversations. Thank God a seven-year-old child knows what the church is. Namely, holy believers and sheep who hear the voice of their shepherd. That's from the Schmall Called Articles. Andrew, what do you believe about Jesus? I believe that Jesus Christ, true God, begotten of the Father from eternity, and also true man, born of the Virgin Mary, is my Lord, who has redeemed me, a lost and condemned person, purchased and won me from all sins, from death, and from the power of the devil, not with gold or silver, but with his holy, precious blood and with his innocent suffering and death, that I may be his own and live under him in his kingdom and serve him in everlasting righteousness, innocence, and blessedness, just as he is risen from the dead, lives and reigns to all eternity. Now, why did Andrew know the answers to these questions? He's only seven years old. The doctrine that Andrew confessed did not originate with him. 
It came from the word of God. See, outside of himself. He has been baptized into Christ. His mother and father have brought him to the divine service since birth. They have read Bible stories to him at home and brought him to Sunday school. They have taught him to pray the words of the Ten Commandments, the Creed, and the Lord's Prayer at mealtime before bed. They have given him work to do around the house. They've disciplined him when he needed it. They always forgave him when he confessed his sins. And their love for him was constant in spite of his failings and shortcomings. All of this explains why Andrew could answer these questions. He is a Christian boy. He knows the Lord Jesus and his forgiveness. And he is on his way to being a faithful citizen and neighbor in the world that God has made. So this accents then the dual focus of a Lutheran day school. The first and most fundamental one is to assist parents in rearing their children in the nurture and instruction of the Lord. And the second is to assist them in teaching their children so that they can be faithful, God-fearing citizens in society and culture, serving their neighbor in love, whether the neighbor believes in Christ or not, and by faithful service in that vocation, bear witness to the universal grace of God and his love for all people. Now, I'm going to stop here, and if any of you have any questions, I would uh, welcome them. And Doctrine and Practice talks a little bit about the history of our own uh, academy uh, through a portion of material on the academic plan. Cindy? make me nervous when you give me the mic. Um, what is the difference between a Lutheran day school teacher and a Christian Lutheran teacher in the public school realm? Now, I understand that there are different responsibilities given to a Lutheran teacher in the Lutheran school. Good question. Let me answer it. Go ahead. What's the difference between a Lutheran day school teacher in a, in a Lutheran school and a Lutheran Christian who teaches in the public realm, okay? Um, when I went to school and went to a public school all the way up until Concordia River Forest, I had many Christians, including a couple of Lutheran Christians, who could bring their faith to bear in the classroom explicitly, okay? That's no longer uh, universally the case today. It kind of gets... Uh, uh, disallowed that you can't even talk about those things. Having said that, today the Lutheran Christian that serves in the public sphere should still be serving there uh, where their, their office and their interaction with people is seasoned with the salt of the gospel and reflects God's love in Christ for all people, even those who do not accept the Christian faith. But where, where it comes to play is we, uh, only the Lutheran day school teacher in the Lutheran school is free to teach the word of God unhindered, to pray in the classroom, etc. But they are still They're still given the authority in loco parentis, but, but the in loco parentis, in the place of the parents, is set by the school. In other words, the, the, the parameters of the public trust is set by the school. And so you'll find that more and more authority is being taken away from parents in the public sphere and governed by um, uh, you know, other ideologies which are not compatible with the Christian faith. And uh, one of the problems with elementary public schools now is how much the society and culture which is contrary to the word of God is allowed to, is, is promoted. Okay. Pastor Gelbach. Just want to uh, reiterate something you wrote here uh, on page 23. You wrote this 25 years ago? 25 years 25 ago. 25 years ago. When 26. the secular kingdom fails to do its work, the spiritual kingdom suffers, and the godless and the wicked of the world do all in their power to prevent the public ministry of the word from being heard in the world. How much more true today? 
That's that correct. This is, That's this correct. is really strong against many churches. Now, some of you have um, picked up the, the, it's printed on purple paper, I think, in the back, um, the uh, letter to Lutheran day school teachers by Dr. Peter Scare of Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne. Um, he's written several pieces that he's posted on, on Facebook, and then they've been, they've been sent around. Um, that's one of them. I forget the most recent one, Beth. What was that on? It was on gender. I mean, oh, it was on gender and so forth. Well, Facebook has banned him. Okay? It is the role. We're in a constitutional republic, and there's a certain Bill of Rights that talks about the freedom of speech. It should be the role of the civil government to say to Facebook, you cannot, you may not agree with Peter Scare, but you cannot you cannot ban him from, from Facebook. But what's happening is that there is kind of a um, soft fascism where unless it is radical leftist in ideology, it's not allowed to be spoken in the public square. And that's why I think that uh, in, in, uh, one of the many reasons why Lutheran day schools are more necessary now perhaps than any other time in our history. Other uh, questions, Kathy? Um, this applies also, when I was working as a nurse, I left uh, Freighter Menominee Falls, which was Community Memorial, and went to work at St. Joe's in Milwaukee, and I was not yet a Christian, and I, as a heathen, if you want to say that, um, saw the dramatic difference in patient care from a Roman Catholic institution that had a, a, a church bigger than this in St. Joe's and practiced it to the patients yeah. uh, through the nursing staff, yeah, and that's through an the example. doctors. Right. It, it, it was dramatic. It was just dramatic. Yeah, the church... The church has established not only individual auxiliary offices, but auxiliary agencies, yeah. you know, like hospitals and uh, the Lutheran orphanage that my mother and uh, aunts and uncles were a part of. So, Lori. The, you made a comment later on, they have the response of children entirely at home or to enlist others to assist them in this work. How does the church look at home schools versus Lutheran schools? Yeah, uh, you know, that was... Um, that's actually also included uh, in the essay. I didn't read it. Um, the, the, let's just cut to the chase. The church is totally fine with that. Okay. okay? Uh, but if you can't do it, see, Luther says in the large catechism uh, that the, the responsibility for teaching the faith and teaching math and science and grammar and so forth belongs to the parent. Yes, it not only can, it belongs to you. It's not an issue of whether you can or can't. The responsibility belongs to you. Now, if you can't do it, or you're not able to do all of it, you enlist someone to assist you in doing what you're unable to do. Right. You know, so... I understand. We, are, we do have Peace Lutheran Academy here that we're trying to celebrate and promote the foundation for. Right. But it in no way undermines homeschooling. Now, having said that, the, the Lutheran homeschooler might find that uh, the Lutheran homeschooler can be very beneficial to a congregation that has a Lutheran school in sending their children to the school to help support everybody else. See, well, one of the things that we lose sight of in our, one of the things that we lose sight of in our vocation is what I do is going to serve me. What I do is going to serve my children. I mean, it's a huge challenge, the, the financing of the academy, for example. Uh, it, frankly, if all of our families that could send their children avail themselves of that opportunity, the financing of the academy would be much less of a strain. But not only that, we exist in our office to strengthen and comfort one another. Otherwise, that's part of the reason why we gather together in divine service. And over this period of time, it's not the same thing to be at home and watch the service over YouTube. It's not the same. 
we're called to gather together. In a lot of ways, we can support. There's uh, some of the most faithful Lutheran families are those who homeschool. What an advantage it would be for those who don't have the strength to do that if some of those families decided to opt into the Lutheran school to help support those families who do not. Do you follow that? Okay. All right, what I'm going to do uh, next week, we're supposed to move into Old Testament catechesis, but I'm going to allow a little bit of um, follow-up discussion, uh, highlighting a couple of items, perhaps in doctrine and practice, and giving you even more time to, uh, to ask questions uh, about the Lutheran Day School, its theological foundation and practice. So uh, the way I've structured the Old Testament uh, catechesis that's coming up, we, we certainly have uh, time to spend a little bit of follow-up discussion next week. Uh, I encourage you, if you're a guest here and you'd like this, you may take it with you. Just please don't give it to Christian News. Uh, it's not for them to publish. Those of you who are aware of that. All right. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen.